Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Secret Stories from the Underground. We hope everybody is doing well. Today, Dean and I, we sit down with actor Jarrett Lennon. Jarrett is such a great guy. He was an awesome guest. He's been in so many films that Dean and I appreciate in uh, TV as well. He was in the film Highway to Hell, the Amityville Dollhouse. Anybody remember that back in the 90s? Yeah, they brung that. They, they moved the house from the east to the west like that made any sense. It didn't. But it was a great movie, and Jarrett was in it. He's done Winning London with the Olsen Twins. My whole life I've wanted to work with the Olsen Twins. Never got the chance. Damn it, Jarrett. Uh, she's all that. He's worked with Andrew Dice Clay. He's been on the TV show Freaks and Geeks. That was a, a, a big pastime back in my day. I love that show. Uh, it was great. Great talking with Jared. Such a great dude. We hope to have him back, and we wish him the best in the future. Um, we can't wait to see what he's coming out with next. Make sure to check out Jared's podcast as well. Um, that's something that he's gotten his hands into, a little bit of the podcasting world. But anyway, real quick, I gotta get some plugs out of the way. Our band, D&D, will be at the 1867, January 12th. So get your tickets, $15 in advance. Uh, they go up the day of the show, so just get your tickets now, save a few bucks, come out, rock out with us. And then also, Dean and I, because, uh... Our friends over at KZUM, that is a radio station out of Lincoln, Nebraska, they are a non-profit, they're so good to us, um, so we are going to play their benefit to help them raise money, and that is February 4th and 5th, so that will be at Gray's Keg in Lincoln as well, it's to help keep our buddies on the air because they play great music that you don't hear on every other station, you're not going to hear it on... You know, some of the music that they play, you're not going to hear on, the, you know, the primetime radio. So it's great. It's a chance to get artists heard, other bands, local bands played, stuff like that. So great people. Dean and I are happy to be a part of it. It's Have a Heart 2 is the name of the benefit. And uh, you can go buy a t-shirt right now with the awesome KZUM logo on it. And all the money from that goes uh, to, to pay their bills. So... If you feel like helping out, please Google KZUM Lincoln. Uh, there's many ways that you can help out, even if you don't live here. So, And we would appreciate it. Um, I think that's enough. So anyway, come and see us January 12th, 1867. Uh, February 4th and 5th at Grace Keg for that benefit. And uh, thank you all for your support. We appreciate it. Here is our interview with Jarrett. Jarrett. Double J, double J, J, A, double R, E, double D. Let's slap nuts. Oh, that's it, yeah. If I fuck this up, he's allowed to do that to me every time I do it. Don't piss me off. <laughs> Yeah, real quick, uh, we're done with this. I want to shoot the intro for Wayne McFarland that's coming out tomorrow. There, uh, a bit of a story there with the name because his children, it looks like 
One has the last name Lin, one has the last name Cobb. Do we want to dive into, well, the bitch took the money. <laughs> What's happening? What's that like he took their, her name? I mean, come on. Where's <laughs> That's Did you just get married? <laughs> <laughs> Jared, are you there? I am. Yeah, I just had to switch web browsers for some peculiar reason, but I am here. Awesome. I'm here with my co-host Dean. How you doing? Hey Dean, good to hear from you. How's your day been so far? Great. Just got home a little while ago from Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, how'd you like it? Oh, it was fantastic. I will avoid spoilers as much as possible, but it was uh, it was a brilliant culmination of about 20 years worth of Spider-Man uh, love. So it, it came together really nicely. I, I, I loved it. I wouldn't see it yesterday. It, it was fantastic. Yeah, I managed to avoid all spoilers for the last few days by turning off all of my social media so that there was no <laughs> chance and I succeeded. So very happy. Yeah, don't go on IMDb right now. That's all that's on there. The the news on IMDb is what they're going to do next. Yeah, yeah, man, I can imagine. Uh, well, luckily now that I'm caught up, I can I can read all the crazy theories and uh, impressions and enjoy it. But yeah, up to up to then, I was in in terror. Well, hello there. Hey, there you are. Technology. Sorry. Yeah, uh, we, we apologize. Um, I should have let you know through email. We got hit with a bad storm this last week, and connection with uh, podcasting has been a little hard. So, ah, got it. Okay. Yeah, we, we lost power for a few days here. We got blasted with some wind, and it, oh, it was, wasn't good. So, yeah, I like I was saying, yeah, the movie was so good that Dean uh, managed to enjoy it with my annoying nine-year-old who can't sit still. <laughs> so, oh, that's great, yeah. So. Oh, bless his heart, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got, a, I've got an ADHD kid myself, and I am an ADHD kid myself, so I can, I can uh, appreciate the challenge, but we all, we all enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, so uh, what are you up to these days in the acting business? Uh, well, I am not acting professionally these days. Um, I am very unprofessional, um, but I, uh, I, I 
do perform improv. Uh, that's kind of where my side thing went. Once I stopped uh, performing on screen on a regular basis, I shifted. Uh, I, I ended up doing some stage work for a while. I was part of a theater company um, in in Los Angeles area, so we were doing some actual live uh, live on stage productions, which was super fun. And then I, uh, on on a whim, I decided to take some improv classes, mostly because I had spent. Uh, most of my life convinced I could not do improv. And so I finally decided, let me take a class and prove to myself once and for all that I'm right. And uh, I was sort of right. I was terrible at it at first. But the thing is, uh, people are normally terrible at everything when they first start. Uh, and I had a lot of fun doing it. So I ended up uh, running through a whole curriculum, making connections with some really fantastic people. And Eventually, uh, me and several of my friends like Josh Spence and uh, Michael Hyman ended up uh, jumping through various teams, creating projects. We reran a, a theater for a while um, before COVID shut it down. And, uh, and now I do, uh, I do podcasting as well. I, uh, I host um, and co-produce uh, the Super Legit podcast with that crew and a ridiculous number of ta incredibly talented people. And so that, that kind of takes up my time until, uh, until we can go back and do this in person again. Very cool. Yeah. Podcasting has uh, been a blessing to get through the pandemic. with. It's, Massively. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's just a great way to stay in contact with, you know, people, you know, or strangers, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just great to talk to somebody. Yeah, no, uh, our team, uh, our, our show started as a group of people who we had uh, we'd put together for a stage show called Allegedly, which uh, was uh, an award nominated um, uh, improv show based out of North Hollywood. Uh, I, I, it only sticks at uh, nominated because the award ceremony was supposed to happen in uh, April of 20 uh, of 2020. And so <laughs> the award show never happened. So for all I know, we won. And I'd like to believe so in my mind. But yeah, <laughs> most of that crew came over into this podcast, but we uh, we added uh, we've since added one member who most of us have never met in person, but uh, she's been a fantastic addition to the cast. So that's yeah, that's kind of where we are is that you know, you're not you're not limited by location anymore and who you can uh, who you can play with and, and have a, a great time with. So, yeah, we, we, we do whatever we can. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that's been one of, one of the silver linings is uh, we finally launched this podcast, which we've been trying to do for a long time. Very cool. So when everything goes back to normal, is it still going to be something on the priority list for you? Absolutely. Yeah. Now we learned an, a lot from it, including the fact that it was just, it was too important to all of us. Um, it's, it's like therapy. Um, and, and we get, we get the time with one another and it's, it's still, regardless, it's hard to get together in person. And especially we have our crew is nine people. Now we don't get everybody on every episode, but it's still way easier to get a bulk of those people together on the internet for an hour every other Saturday night than it is to get all of us physically in the same place from all of all over the Los Angeles area. You know, it's it's a very spread out place. If you're on the west, one of you is on the west side and one of you is in the valley, then that's that's like a you know, depending on time of day, that can be a two hour difference. So yeah. it's a it's a big project to get to a theater while you can just hop in front of your computer, plug in your decent microphone and headphones and start a recording. Yeah, very cool. You've uh, you've been in the business a uh, very long time from what yes. I've read pretty much your whole yeah. life. Uh, what was it like starting off as a child? 
Uh, yeah, I, I started when I was uh, four, four and a half. Um, and at that time, you know, I, I guess I didn't have perspective on what it was like because it just was like what I was doing. Um, but I, I, my first job was a, a uh, I actually, my very first job was a commercial for my first Transformers, which were like the, you know, the super play school version of the Transformers toys. So big and chunky and blocky and you know, like three moving pieces. And uh, yeah, that was just because. Yeah, you know, my my mother, uh, the way my mother tells it, uh, she never wanted me to be a you know a child actor or for her to be a stage mother or any of that because she didn't like all, everything that went with that. But a lot of people kept saying I had the personality for it. You know, these are typical stories. But she was actually, uh, interestingly enough, it was Ed Asner who talked her into it. Um, we, we recently lost him, and he just incredibly brilliant uh, actor throughout the ages. Um, she was working with him on some sort of charity project. And, you know, he again pushed the idea that uh, I should do, I should do an acting and I had some medical problems at the time too. And it was like, you know, he's got medical bills. This would just pay for them. Just, just try it. So yeah, I, I went out on some auditions. I booked my first audition for that the commercial. And then my second audition was for a mini series that filmed in New York and I booked that job. So my first two auditions I, I, I booked. And so that was like the, the agent's uh, instant, signal that yeah there's there's something here so uh and so that's that's it, it was all building from that but yeah I, i'm i didn't have a ton of perspective it was just one of these things of this is now what i'm doing very cool yeah through uh through your childhood you were on so many awesome tv shows and movies that uh, i grew up watching for sure yeah what uh do you have a favorite set that you were able to be on as far as TV wise, uh, especially within like that early eighties time or I mean, late eighties. Sorry. The, the super, super obvious one um, is cheers. I did, I did three episodes of cheers, which is, it's, uh, it's pretty unusual to have a, a child actor be a recurring role on a sitcom about a bar. <laughs> but yeah, I managed that. And that was, that was an incredible set. I mean, that was relatively early for me. I was seven when, when that started. Uh, and that, that set, um, that crew, that cast, that production is just, you know, it, it has a legendary status for good reason, because it's just, it's incomparable. Um, really, really talented, kind, funny, a personable people uh, across the board. So yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's definitely one of the most iconic things I ever got to be a part of. And, and I got, I got to be a part of a good, a good amount of them, but yeah, that just goes down as one of the top. Uh, do you remember your time on growing pains? Uh, vaguely growing pains was definitely, it's one of those jobs that I have more like a memory of a memory of it. Um, but I, I do, I do remember. Yeah. You know, I played a little boner on that. Um, yeah. Uh, gotta love those eighties. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that was, that's uh, gotta be the best credit ever. Little yeah, boner. Oh, people love it. And it's an iconic character that I was playing the young version of. And you know, that was, late in the show's run if i remember correctly because it was it was their graduation so it was them looking back on how they first met and uh yeah i played that i think uh i think my cohort in that i think was victor dematia who i worked with on dennis the menace as well if i'm remembering that correctly it's hard it all blends together um but yeah it was you know it was a very simple role it was very funny it was cute and like the, the cast was very nice they did meet us and were you know they, they went crazy over how much we we actually looked like them um so it, it just yeah it, 
that that stuff's always hilarious. Um, not to jump back and forth here too much, but when you were on cheer, was that uh, Shelly Long or Christy Alley time? That's Christy Alley. Yeah, that was Christy Alley. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was fun. Um, she wasn't uh, um, pushing the Scientology while we were working on it, so that certainly wasn't an <laughs> issue. Uh, it, it was she was very very kind to me. Every I mean everyone was, but she was great to work with. I remember there was one day on the second episode that I did that we were we were rehearsing, and you know I, I come out um, from a doorway to start my scene and do my lines. And again, like this cast is so professional that all they do is goof off and screw with one another the entire rehearsals because they know when they actually get to the recording night, they're going to nail it. So it wasn't strange to me that she, that when I came out, she was just sitting on some random guy's lap. Um, it was later explained to me that that random guy was John Travolta, who was her boyfriend at the time. Uh, <laughs> I had no I idea. Didn't, I, was, I, didn't know I was eight or nine. <laughs> I just learned something yeah. here. I didn't know that they were a couple. Let's yeah. talking movie. Well, I knew they were in an awesome <laughs> movie together, but I knew nothing about this couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I have no idea how long that lasted or anything, but yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was one of the, the many, many funny set moments. I, th I think it lasted until about look who's talking three. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. I think that's when the magic no, I, uh, ended for all of us. I got to ask you about this movie. I've never seen it. I don't know if Dean has or not, but uh, casual sex. I knew that's what you were asking about the moment that it started. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's got such an awesome cast to it. And you were young. What role did you play in this movie? You know, Victoria Jackson, Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. Uh, great group of people. Yeah, no, a great, great group. And of course, uh, Leah Thompson was the was the star of that, um, who's a fantastic actress. And I worked with her years later in uh, an episode of Caroline in the City, too. Um, yeah, the the, you know, overall, the plot of that that I vaguely remember, I, I you know, I watched it probably shortly thereafter. And I watched it a few years ago because it turned out my uh, my now wife was actually a big fan of that movie um, years earlier. So uh, that, that was a funny coincidence. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, kind of like the sowing your wild oats kind of thing. Um, you know, Andrew Dice Clay definitely playing a very Andrew Dice Clay character. Um, but the two, you know, he and, and Leah Thompson's character fall in love despite, you know, how um, a a against a relationships a character like that would po could possibly be. And so, yeah, the, the spoiler alert, but the end of the movie is, you know, a few years later when they are successfully have a, an actual lasting redeeming relationship. And I think it probably took place at Christmas and we see their kids running down the stairs with them at the end. And I was, I was one of the kids. So it, that one wasn't a huge role or anything, you know, probably just a few lines. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was fun. And, uh, I worked with Andrew Dice Clay in that, as well as uh, one of his stand-up specials, "The Dice Man Cometh." I played, yeah. I played him as a child in that. Yeah, one of nice. one of the biggest uh, dice stand-ups too. That's yeah, one of the ones. Uh, iconic. Yeah, yeah. You you've actually worked on some of the movies that uh, I loved growing up. Uh, I know this is probably I don't know if you get a whole lot of this, but I love the movie Highway to Hell. Wow. Um, I yeah, don't, I mean, most people have never heard of it. No, I, I loved it. It was a movie that uh, me and my dad used to watch when I was a kid. We used to have like monster movie night. And uh, <laughs> I honestly, anytime I get a chance to watch it, I probably watched it two months ago on Tubi. Um, oh, that's great. Oh, it's on there. Great oh that's great. 
Yeah, such a great film. What was it like being on the set of that? Because that set is pretty cool, uh, especially if you go back and you watch a movie now. It still holds up. You know, it's it's a great movie. Yeah, that was a that was a weird. It was a very strange movie for like a, like countless reasons. Because I remember when I got that, um, that was we probably filmed that in 1990, um, and the I got the part, but I also simultaneously got booked for a pilot um, for something. I think I think it was called Soul Man, although it not anything to do with there was both a movie and another sitcom eventually called Soul Man. Neither one was this one. But I got booked on that pilot at the same time that they booked me for this job. And we had to carefully pick between the two. And initially, we actually did turn down the movie and went with the sitcom, because, of course, if the pilot goes, then you have, a, you know, you've got work for, you know, potentially years. Uh, but then it, it became very clear that that one fell through. I think maybe the production itself fell through. So we went back to the movie. They, they had already cast somebody else and like awkwardly let him go to, uh, to go ahead and put me back in the role, which is just an incredibly awkward situation. Uh, mm-hmm. and then we filmed that one in, uh, if I remember correctly, both in Utah and in, uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, um, Page, Utah, I think, in Phoenix, Arizona. Those are the two main locations. And the movie was incredible because it had a ridiculous cast, like just a huge number of, at that time, gigantic stars. Um, you know, Chad Lowe was just coming up being uh, Rob Lowe's little brother at the time. You know, Chad didn't have his own big thing. Uh, Christy Swanson was like huge as a, both a model and an upcoming actress at that point. Patrick Bergen was a, a really big deal. And then just like countless, countless cameos. You had people like uh, Lita Ford and Gilbert Gottfried, um, Jerry Stiller, Ben Stiller, um, uh, uh, Ann Mira, Jerry's wife, uh, like just ridiculous, just all these incredible people. And it was just we know this knew this thing was going to be a huge deal. The writer was Brian Helgland, who went on to uh, I think he won an Oscar for L.A. Confidential and like just incredible writer. Script was hilarious. Very, very smart. Um, And so like we were really excited going into this. But the production company kind of just ran it into the ground while we were filming it. And they kept making changes. Um, And, you know, it was originally attended to be rated so that it would actually have mass appeal. But they kept kind of driving up the rating with more and more um, R-rated elements. And like we could we could tell the rating was going up as it went. And the entire crew was just miserable. They kept cutting corners and production in ways like it was it was big budget, but they'd cut production in uh, corners on things like safety. Like we had all these these crate like the car in that film is super, super crazy and cobbled together just out of spare parts. And like while we were driving it, things would fall off of it. Um, and, you know, and we're, we're, we're filming in the desert, like there's a cliff edge nearby and we're driving toward it high speeds. And like, there's all just, just incredible risks they were taking. So it was really frustrating and scary. I know my mother was just like terrified that whole entire time. And people really hated a lot of the, the higher production on it to the point where the story I heard, which I can't confirm because this is old, but the first AD, the first assistant director on that film was so hated by the crew that when they finally wrapped production, they uh, they held a wrap party at a, a warehouse in the middle of the desert. Um, and he was invited to that wrap party. And 
when he showed up, it turned out that it was in fact a fake rap party. There was no rap party at that time in that location. There was just a lot of very angry crew members who, from what I'm told, literally tied him up and tarred and feathered him and left him in the warehouse in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, could be apocryphal. I don't know. Uh, I was young, but I, I'll keep telling the story because I enjoy telling it. So uh, it'll it's I'll a good one. go with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also, if you've ever seen the uh, between uh, between two uh, ferns episode with Ben Stiller, um, Zach Galifianakis does ask him what the worst film he's ever done was. And he lists Highway to Hell. So uh, I, I, I like uh, having that connection. <laughs> Man, I, just, I, don't, I, I don't get it. I thought it was such a great movie. Like, I I've seen it, it as a fun. kid. It just was, I, I think, I think his perspective is the same of it was a terrible film to film. But it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it was it didn't turn out well, but it was it was, you know, it was invisible when it was released. It didn't release anywhere like we had to go. I was a kid. We found one theater in Los Angeles playing it. And it was literally a porn theater that was willing to play the movie. So, yeah. Was Did you get thing. in? What was that? Did were you able to get in being that it's yeah, a you're like, porn theater? What, nine, ten? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they did let me see it. Like we had to, yeah, I think we had to like show them a copy of my resume and my headshot to prove I was really in it. Because that was the thing. <laughs> like in the day, you, you could get into movies for free that you were in. Um, but like that guy was really hard nosed about it. But he eventually let us <laughs> get in and see the movie. That's crazy. No, I, I mean, I love it. What is your opinion on it? Looking back, do you do you think it holds up? I haven't seen it as an adult. In fact, I started to watch it a few months ago, but I literally like I, it was mostly I was just testing it to see if the source I had for it, which I think was like Amazon Prime or something was working. Um, I watched like the first 10 minutes of it, which was super fun. I don't even think I got to myself in the movie before um, uh, I stopped for that moment and I haven't picked it back up again. But yeah, I think yeah, I think they, they put enough budget into that film and enough uh, enough of the cleverness remained that. I would not be surprised at all if it held up surprisingly well for for, you know, for an 80s movie, you know, obviously 80s effects. But again, yeah, they put a lot of effort into them, so I wouldn't be surprised. Right. on. Yeah. The the other movie that you did that I absolutely love that you might not hear a whole lot of <laughs> is that the Amityville Dollhouse. Movie. Oh, now, wow. I love the Amityville series, and there's a part where Amityville got just too watered down. Sure. But there was something about this movie that I, I thought was clever. You know, it yeah. was a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting because that was coming off of a run where at that point I had done several horror films. I mean, I had done I had done uh, uh, Dean Narcoons' Servants of Twilight um, kind of wrapped around Highway to Hell, which Highway to Hell was like a comedy horror thing. Um, I had done, uh, something in, uh, in Vancouver. Uh, I think the eventual title was the surgeon, uh, which is a horror film. I had done a few and we were kind of afraid of me getting, uh, trapped in horror films. Cause that's a thing you can oftentimes get, uh, typecast into. This is a guy who does horror movies, or this is a guy who does this kind of movie. And, and so we were trying to avoid that. And so I got an audition for this film, Amityville Dollhouse, and we turned down the audition because just, yeah, we didn't want that to happen. And then the, uh, there was a callback, um, the producer's callback, and they said, no, we really want to see him specifically. And that this happens occasionally where the producers or the casting directors or someone in it 
knows you or knows of you well enough that they will request you. It's not merely just a, a, a open call for someone who fits the role, but they will say, no, we, we really want to see this specific actor for this. And they did, they did that. They put out a producer's call for me specifically. And you don't turn those down because that's, that's a dick move. A and B, unless you are like incredibly powerful and capable of turning things down and it doesn't hurt your career, you, you definitely don't want to <laughs> say, no, I'm, I'm better than you. So, and my agent, you know, specifically said, look, you don't have to take the job. Um, if they offer it to you, you can turn it down. But yeah, you don't turn down a, a, a request. So I went in, I auditioned for the producers on that. And, uh, and my agent called a few days later and said, so I've, I've got, you know, I've got good news and bad news. I mean, you booked the role, they want you for it. Um, I know you don't want to do it, but it films in Valencia. And I, I lived there. And they said, like, you're, you don't have a commute, like, you, you know, it'll take you five minutes to get to work every day. That, that sounds like something that's probably worth it, right? Uh, and so we thought about it and was like, yeah, I mean, you know, living in Santa Clarita, which is, uh, you know, it's it's well north of Los Angeles. It's it's the place you can afford to live while still living somewhere relatively nice. Um, but it means your drives to any of the studios are you're probably looking at an hour to an hour and a half. Like if you're all the way at, say, what what is now Sony, what that then would have been, uh, I guess, MGM, um, like that's that's a heck of a trek. So it's rare that you get an opportunity to just roll out of bed, get dressed and get into work within, you know, in less than an hour. So, so yeah, we took it and I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we did. That was a really, really fun production. It was, it was the opposite of highway to hell in, in, well, I guess in just about every way budget was dramatically lower. Um, script was silly and dumb. Um, but it was really well done by people who really cared about what they were doing. And so the entire cast and crew was again like the polar opposite. Um, well, I shouldn't say about the cast. The cast was great on Highway to Hell, but the crew and you know all the problems we had, the production, none of that here. Amityville Dollhouse was just fun. Um, really good people who you liked to spend your time with, who really took their job seriously and professionally, and uh, put in everything despite the fact that yeah, you know, we're doing a, a silly low budget horror film, which was yeah at that point it was it was the seventh film in the Amityville series. I think it was one, one, maybe two movies after they just randomly moved the house from the East coast to the West coast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just, you know, it was dumb fun. It was relatively easy money that I could actually enjoy doing. So I'm um, no complaints. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of fun. So actually, you know, I wanted to ask you too, um, since you mentioned it, uh, were you getting, does that happen often where you start getting requested? Because I noticed like, you know, they're especially in the late eighties, early nineties, like you were busy as hell. Like yeah. you were on all sorts of different programs in that. So I was going to ask you before you mentioned that, if you were by chance under contract with a specific studio or anything at that time, just because you had so many credits. No, no, I never had like a, I never had that sort of a scenario. Um, generally speaking by that point, I feel like, the contracts were long, long gone, although that seems to be coming back again. Um, the closest I probably ever got to that was after I did, um, I guessed it on Valerie, which became the Hogan family. Yeah. Uh, and that was a Miller Boyette production. And they really, really liked me on that one. I had a, 
a relatively small role, but a very clear, memorable one. And I got a really big reaction off of that one. And so they actually did contract me. They wanted to write a sitcom specifically for me, uh, which was, you know, exciting as hell. Um, huge opportunity. And so and a deal like that is, you know, we're, you know, we're going to contract you for X amount of money and we have X, you know, amount of time. I don't know what it was at that point, year, two years, something like that to get this production going. And if by the end of that time we don't have anything, then we just have to pay you free and clear and you don't, you haven't even worked um, or, you know, we, we get the job going and you work for pay. Um, and so, yeah, the clock was running out on that time when they finally said, okay, we, we finally have the, the, the project for you. It's a, it's a sitcom. It's like a modern Brady ba Brady Bunch blended family. Um, you know, it's a, kind of a reboot of that concept. It's going to star Suzanne Summers and Patrick Duffy, and you know all these other people. Uh, Stacey Keenan, who was coming out of uh, uh, my two dads at that point. You know, it's going to be this going to be a really big deal. And I remember, like we were we had a little bit of trepidation about it, especially my mother did because the original thing had been we're going to write a show for you. Um, but this was clearly not for me. This was a huge ensemble. Um, and so it was always a little bit weird on that point. But anyway, that was uh, that was step by step. And I was cast cool. as uh, the original Mark Foster on that show. And we filmed that pilot again. Another example of a fantastic cast and crew had a ton of fun on that one. And uh, and. Uh, they, you know, they said, uh, you know, hopefully we get picked up. Uh, you know, there were a lot of wink winks on that because everyone knew with a cast like that, there was no way the network wasn't going to pick it up. And then there was this whole, uh, debacle of finding out that I was replaced, um, on it, uh, by, by a then friend of mine to Christopher Castile. Um, and it was, it's, it's a huge thing. In fact, if you listen to, um, uh, Christine Lakin's podcast, um, uh, uh, was it worst ever uh, podcast? Um, she's got a fantastic episode that she interviewed me on where I got into the, like the real deep, dark nitty gritty of that one. So I do recommend checking out that podcast in general. She's got a great show over there with uh, Alec led. Uh, but that episode was really fun. Cause I got into the, like the, the deep darkness of that process. But yeah, that that's the closest I ever had to having like a contract with anyone. Uh, but requests were common. Um, I definitely had quite a few where I'd get brought in specifically because somebody knew me. Um, I had, I used to do a lot of voiceover work. So I did cartoons and radio commercials and things like that, especially when I was young, because I just had a very clear, sharp voice and took direction well. Um, and so I remember I showed up for an audition for one, one time, and I was sitting in the waiting room and the casting director I think there, he was higher than that. Maybe he was a producer for it or something, but you know, maybe the executive casting director came out of the waiting room and said, Oh, Jared, I didn't know you were reading for this. Uh, everyone else, you can go home. And that, <laughs> that was the incredibly awkward, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the easy uh, win there. So I just booked that job. So yeah, there, there were a lot of plays with that. Uh, I know you had, uh, you interviewed Natanya Ross a while back. Uh, I had worked, uh, I did an episode of uh, uh, of Alex Mack, which was a huge, huge deal for me. And that was a, more or less done as a, a favor to me because I had worked with the executive producer of that on uh, 
a made for VHS uh, show called Sherman's Way um, that I, I starred in that. And that was super fun. And I really liked him. And I was really excited that he was he was the producer of my favorite Nickelodeon show. And so I definitely hinted and pushed on that. And so they had they requested me for the audition for that, which I then booked. So, yeah, stuff like that happens. Cool. So how are you navigating through your career at that point, being the age that you were? Was that family um did you have you know your own agents and that i get to the point dean were you uh were you making it good with the ladies <laughs> <laughs> uh well to, to answer the the first half of that question uh, uh yeah you know uh obviously i definitely had an agent because that's pretty much a necessity i mean it is technically possible to get away with that one but it, it is hard so yeah I had um, a, a string of agents um, who, who did most of that work. I eventually had a manager as well. Um, so that's it's an additional uh, cut of the pie that's taken out, but uh, that's some extra work get involved in helping promote and, and make the right decisions and so on. And then, yeah, you know, I had, I had my mother who was uh, otherwise managing my career and uh, a really good support structure, not to mention, you know, my my ride my uh my my protection uh on everything etc so yeah that was that was the overall support structure there uh, okay yeah um so with that i guess then once you turn 18 old enough to start taking over for yourself <laughs> i guess like do you, do you have to let mom go or <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's when things more or less uh uh went to i don't know what the rating of this podcast is but um... oh, you can say whatever you want buddy. Whatever <laughs> thank you, want. you yeah i don't want to assume here but yeah that that's when things fell apart for a few reasons i mean uh, the transition age is famously a nightmare for actors. Um, when you transition from child actor to adult actor, everything changes for a variety of reasons, including the fact that like in any art form, there is being impressed with someone because they're good for a kid. And then there's being impressed with someone because they're just good. And that oftentimes that's that make or break moment where you recognize the difference in a performer. There's the fact that like the actual process of aging up is very awkward and when you get into the teen years you become a physically different person and maybe one who's nowhere near as marketable as you once were um mm -hmm. and then other factors that happened in that same time frame when i was doing that was we had a huge writer strike so a lot of productions just shut down you know famously a lot of shows that you look at in that time period had half-length seasons or unfinished seasons or like you know weird weird writing quirks to them uh, additionally, a lot of stuff was being moved uh, to Canada for filming because it was just cheaper. And, you know, I tended to play the smaller uh, um, roles, the co-starring roles. And when you're going to film a show in Canada, you're going to cast those roles there. You cast the leads here, you cast the smaller roles there. And so all of that combined to really dry up the work for me um, as I reached adulthood. And then, yeah, you know, I moved out and... You know, as as I said, I you know I have ADHD, so I I was not tracking things as well. And as I was trying to manage things on my own, there was definitely a lot that I should have been doing that I definitely wasn't. I mean, it's silly stuff. Like I remember my uh, my agent at the time sent me my contract renewal, and that thing just sat on my desk for months, not because I had no interest in renewing my contract with them, but just because if any of you, if any of our listeners know what ADHD is like, like the executive function stuff is rough. And sometimes those tasks that take five minutes feel like it's going to be the biggest thing in the universe. 
And so you just don't dive into things like that. And so stuff like that, I didn't get the headshots that I should have. You know, I, I made a lot of of dumb moves that, you know, I'm now at a point where I can look back at that and recognize what mistakes I myself made in self-managing that uh, that contributed to to things kind of falling off. But, you know, I did a few more things near the end. I, I had a really nice run, uh, some recurring roles on a fantastic sitcom called Grounded for Life. Um, but that was the time period in which I, I was no longer working frequently enough to even qualify for SAG insurance. So like health insurance was a concern for me and my, my family. I had, a, had had a baby at that point, in fact, during that production. Um, and it just it reached a point where I realized I had to I, I had to make some changes, some difficult sacrifices to make sure that my family could eat every day instead of, uh, you know, whenever <laughs> I got paid. Yeah, those those kids like to be fed on a daily basis. Yeah, it's oh. crazy, right? <laughs> so needy. You feed them once, and they just come back. Yeah. Oh. So needy. Like a straight dog, you know. <laughs> yeah, you were uh, also on a uh, another show that just was awesome, and also produced just some great talent, Freaks and Geeks. Oh my God! I mean, most of that cast just runs Hollywood now. Yeah. Uh, what was it like to be able to work with them people, you know, that cast early on? Yeah, it was. Well, you know, of course, obviously, again, we had no perspective yet on who we were working with because everybody was nobody at that point, which was, you know, nice. We were all on a level playing field. Uh, yeah, it, it goes down a history of definitely one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of. And uh, particularly because I'm a fan of it from outside of it. You know, I've, I've watched the entire series multiple times. It's it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, the cast was fantastic. I was I was in the geeks crowd. So, you know, I'm working with people like Sam Levine and Martin Starr and, of course, John Daly. So, you know, because they're they're the three main, main geeks there. Um, Stephen Lee Shepard would have been my cohort. He, he played Harris, the uh, uh, totally Zen uh, deadpan uh, geek of the, the show recurring role. Um, and it's funny because where things started with that one, I originally read for Neil Sam Levine's character um, who I, I have, I have absolutely no bitterness about where that casting went. Cause Sam Levine is one of my favorite people and couldn't have been a better ca uh, casting choice for that role. Um, and so eventually, you know, it kind of, you know, I read for that, didn't get that part. It fell off. And then eventually they had a round of casting for the smaller characters and they had me read for Harris, who is uh, Stephen Lee Shepard's character. And I nailed that. Like, um, I do remember that when I got the script and I read it, I didn't get it. I didn't get the script because I didn't understand the tone they were going for. So between the name of the show and the little bit of the sides that I did have, I thought it didn't quite make sense. Like I, I initially thought that the writing had some actual holes in it and that it was, you know, making fun of geeks. And I was absolutely uh, to some or uh, a massive degree a geek at the time. Um, still am. And so like, <laughs> I, I almost turned down even the audition because it's like, I just I don't like what this is doing. I don't want to help encourage, um, you know, tr the continued stereotyping of, of geeks everywhere. Uh, it, it wasn't I went ahead with it anyway. And then I gained additional perspective on what they were actually going for. And that really did a complete reversal on me and my concerns on it. And I realized like some of the things I thought were were holes were actually very clever uh cleverly handled jokes that basically just it was a matter of 
if it if you turn this phrase the right way and you play it the right way, it's smart. If you don't, it was a it was something that didn't make sense. And so once I had the real perspective on the show, it was like, oh, oh, this is actually brilliant. Um, and I ended up not getting the job either, but I did end up uh, on a veil as their second choice for the character. Uh, they called me the night before filming was supposed to start on Harris and said, hey, listen, you you were the sec- congratulations, you were the second choice. Yay. Um, <laughs> but uh, the first choice is from Canada, and we still don't have his work visa. It has not uh, arrived yet. It has not been, been signed off on, which means tomorrow morning, if that does not arrive by the time we need to start filming, we can't film with him, and we need a backup. And so they contracted me just basically to sit around on set for as long as it took for them, I I forget what it was, but I think they were willing to wait till like 9.30 a.m., which is late to start. But it was like they they wanted to give it every chance they could to get that visa in place. And so, yeah, I was was paid to sit around on set, wait to see if he got his visa so he could film, at which point I would just be dismissed and go home. Or if not, I would step in and the role would be split in half as Harris and Colin. And then they would make sense of, of it in a a scene that took place earlier in the script than the scene we were filming that day. And so, yeah, uh, 9.30 came around and still no visa. So in I go. And so, yeah, with, you know, half a night's preparation, I'm I'm stepping into this uh, role, which was a fantastic one. That scene we filmed was uh, the big fight scene in the, the pilot episode where the three three geeks take on uh, Alan, their bully, played by Chauncey Leopardi, who I had worked with on uh, a film before that as well. And uh, we fight him off and, you know, um, I got his shoes. Um, so it's just it was it was a ridiculous fight, but intentionally. So it was a really fun character to play. And then, you know, came back uh, probably the next week to film at the school where we had the scene with me and Harris, who at that point, Stephen Lee Shepard had, had his uh, had gotten his visa. So he was able to film. And so we got to do the duo of us as the senior geeks who the, they came to for advice. And they uh, they did come back and have me uh, guest on the show two more times as well, which was uh, a treat each time because the cast is spectacular. I got to work with the I didn't get to work directly with the geeks, but uh, the freaks, but I got to certainly meet all of them because they're they're on the set filming their stuff and they were all spectacular people, too. We even had a a Vanity Fair photo shoot um, a few years back for a, um, a big spread on it. And so I got to go back and see everybody again. And just everybody was so kind. Linda Cardellini ran up and gave me a hug. And, you know, just all of these spectacular people were just as nice as ever. Like, no no complaints. Uh, do you got a, a Seth uh, Rogen story by chance? Oh, God. Oh, I wish I had a story. Um no, I know my mother and his mother became um, like online friends and talked for years after that. I think they might still talk. So, uh, so yeah, that was that was always funny. He was, you know, again at the time he was an example of another own unknown. He came from Canada. He and Sam Levine were both stand-up comics. Sam Levine was from New York. He was the youngest member of the New York Friars Club. Seth Rogen was a stand-up in in Canada. And like again, these are these people. Nobody knew who they were. So super down-to-earth, chill people who had no egos because they had nothing to have provided them an ego yet. But I'll say even that, again, you know, when I went back to that, uh, that, that photo shoot, we had this big uh, bleacher photo where everybody's standing in the bleachers. And I was like three rows behind him. And he, you know, he turns around one, at one point, glances back at me, looks at me, and like his eyes lit up. And he's like, hey, how are you, man? And it's like, you know, 
it's just a very simple thing is like just that simple recognition of a, a human who remembered my face after all these, you know, a, a decade and a half at that point. And it just, it, that's very cool. it represented how, just how kind he is. And I've only ever heard continued versions of that from anybody else who's interacted with him. That's awesome. Now yeah. I, I'm glad to hear that <laughs> with, with the relationship yeah, right? with like him and Franco. Now, is Ooh. there any chance that this show would ever come back? No, no. I mean, I don't think the show can come back for multiple reasons. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I feel like that magic cannot be recreated, not to mention, you know, if it came back now, it would take place. Um, I, I, you know, this it would be I think it would take place in 2005. I think I figured out the math on or something like that. Like, it's just it, it would be a really weird place that I don't think would have the same iconic nature to it uh, in time. Um, the cast is all just incredibly different people with incredibly different lives, even getting them together. Like there's so many reasons I feel like it could never happen. The closest is, you know, a, a remake, which I don't advocate for, but if someone actually did a, a new version of the show with new people and new situations that would physically work better than trying to bring this cast back. But no, I think, uh, um, for better or worse, James Franco is, is, uh, burned in the industry at this point, unless there's some shocking change. That's yeah. good though. That's yeah. good. No, we we you know again. I I personally had no ex bad experiences with him, but that's that's uh, one of those cop out answers you hear from everyone. Of you know, just like uh, you know, I never saw Epstein uh, trafficking young children. Um, yeah. just because you you didn't personally have the bad experience. You know, I, I, I'm you know I'm a, a a cishet white guy. I don't personally see people being racist all the time because around right. me, they don't have a reason to be. That doesn't mean that they don't do horrific racist things to people. So, you know, right. James Franco, obviously there are some, uh, some awful things that have come out about him and that's very unfortunate. Um, and you know, it also just, it sucks to see talent wasted like that when you see someone who is genuinely a talented person, but you know, has made other people around them miserable. Yeah. Um, so you have actually worked with a couple um, on shows like the Doogie Howser and on the Hogan mm -hmm. family and that with, uh, so you're talking, you know, Jason Bateman and, yeah. um, uh, oh my goodness. Neil Patrick um, Harris. Thank you. <laughs> and BH. Yes. yes. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, these are yeah. two guys that, you know, were huge stars on those shows at that time. And then, you know, yeah, they, they grew up and then now they're huge stars again. And, yep. Yep. Um, with that, is there, I guess, anybody like that that you work that you just saw, like, they're, they're, they got it. Like, they're, they're just going to be huge. Oh, gosh. Um, that's a good question. Like, who was the obvious one? Um, I mean, honestly, like, almost the opposite going back to Freaks and Geeks. Um, and, and I, I say this with just like the utmost respect. I didn't fully get John Francis Daly at the time who who you know again played you know uh sam weir on freaks and geeks uh his really awkward deliveries and everything because i didn't have the bigger picture of what the show was and what they were going for and the fact that like he was playing a legitimately awkward character so he was perfect in it but i didn't necessarily grasp that at the time and you know that's a guy who ran went on to write spider-man homecoming uh like he's he's turned into a you know, for one, he was uh, he had a huge run in Bones where I thought he did a fantastic job in that. And then he's gone on to be an incredibly prolific screenwriter and just deeply talented. And that, you know, that amazed me because, you know, when I met him, he was he was pretty young. And like I said, I didn't grasp the approach until I saw it put together. And then I, I felt dumb about that fact. 
So, you know, I, I, I just answered the opposite of your question. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah. Other people, yeah. You, you mentioned NPH. I, I unfortunately didn't get to work directly with him, but yeah, that's another guy. Like I feel like the Doogie, Doogie Hauser character is another example of like kind of a weird, uh, awkward character who that's intentionally so, but I would never have guessed what an incredible powerhouse of an actor and creator he is. I mean, that guy's an author now he's a, a game creator. He's, he's, you know, he's incredibly musically talented. He's an incredible advocate. Like that's a guy who's just a, a stunning, oh, he can, he can stunning person. Sing. Yeah. He can sing really well. Um, yeah, uh, he's, he's, he's hilarious. I, yep, I yep. love, and he seems like somebody that can take a joke about himself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess another one would be I, I did. I was in, but then edited out of Not Another Teen Movie, um, which uh, Chris Evans starred in. And we had no idea yeah. what to expect from that guy. And holy shit. You got edited out of that one? I did. Yeah. Yeah. That oh, was unfortunate. I yeah. <laughs> I played a, I played kind of a play on Charlie Cosmo's role in Can't Hardly Wait, where there was a big party scene. And, uh, you know, we, we cut to me uh, sh shouting, uh, you know, taking like taking a shot off of uh, some woman's belly and shouting, you know, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. And then we pan back and I'm in a wheelchair. <laughs> and someone's like, dude, you can never feel your legs. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it was, oh, that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not even in any of the deleted scenes on any of the DVDs oh, or anything either. And what's we like, I assume that was so that they didn't have to pay me, but I actually get paid for that. I still get residuals <laughs> for that movie, despite not being in any version of it that I'm aware of. So, yeah, that was and it was funny because I was just coming off of She's All That at that point. So I, I was also one of those actors who was in the movie that spoofed the previous movie I was in. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> funny. No, it's amazing when we have actors come on and tell us about these funny scenes that nobody's ever seen, it's, it's a shame. Like, is there anywhere that you can go and find that scene online or anything? I wish I've never been able to track it down. I've every, you know, every few years or every time I notice one of the residual checks, I'm like, Hmm, maybe I can find this somewhere. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a blooper reel I've missed. And, uh, yeah, that, that'd be cool. To, you know, yeah, I'll be able to put that out on YouTube or something. Yeah, you know, listeners to the show, if you happen to to uh, find anything I'm missing, please hook me up. If you know a guy. That... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While you're looking for that, make sure you find the Uncle Buck Lost tapes. All right, we're looking for them too. We're trying to. God, there's so uh, much to get to the bottom to. So, uh, there there was a another one that I wanted to ask you about. Um, not that I was a huge fan of the movie, but actually because of who started it was the um, Winning London. Oh the yeah. Olsen yeah, the Olsen twins. Yes. Oh, I love wow. me some Olsen twins. <laughs> and Danny, I'll, I'll hype that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was no. a that was another funny one because I did I read for a larger role in that one. Um, I'm trying to remember. Let's see here. I I I don't spoil alert. I uh, are uh, lifting the veil. I do have I to be open while I'm on here, so I uh, don't sound like an idiot about my own jobs. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, oh gosh, I don't remember. Blow your mind how many people don't do that. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Eric Eric uh, Jungman or Youngman. I, I always forget which way he preferred the J pronounced, but he uh, he ended up. Oh, that's right. That happened twice because he uh, both uh, he got the role I read for in that and he got the role I originally read for in uh, Not Another Teen Movie, which was uh, um, the the Ducky character in that film. 
Um, again, not not better. He's a very talented actor, so that's that's not a thing. But uh, uh, yeah, so he got the role in this one that I originally read for, and then they had me read for a smaller role, which was basically the character that uh, the plot of it is they're they're part of a I don't know if it was a debate team or like one of those school uh, school groups that gets to go to London to you know maybe do a big international debate or something, and uh, my character who was super gross for some reason because that's just the character uh, choice they, they had for him uh couldn't make the trip and so that's when they had um mary kate's sister or ashley's sister whichever one was the main one of the two fill in for me so that's how they got the excuse for both of them to end up going to london so uh so i did not go to get to go to london but the funny thing with that was um at that time there were two reasons nobody wanted to be in a Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movie. Uh, one is it's just such a stigma of like those kid movies, those, you know, uh, uh, junkie straight to VHS kind of movies yes. that like, yeah, you're afraid it's going to hurt your career. And the other is for whatever reason, they had a really bad reputation for being incredibly difficult to work with. Um, and so both of those things combined, people didn't want to do their movies. So when I auditioned for this movie, they didn't tell me it was a Mary-Kate and Ashley movie. Um, really? They specifically withheld that information from my agent and and therefore from me. So none of us knew it was Mary-Kate and Ashley. Um, it wasn't until I booked the job that they then said, by the way, this is a Mary-Kate and Ashley film. <laughs> now, uh, would that have been an issue for you? I'm not sure, um, you know, because I was definitely aware of both of those things. And I, I certainly think there's a chance my agent would have advised against it because of the former reason. The uh, the you know, it's a, a the, the films just look bad for your resume um, as far as the hard to work with thing. You know, I was like, you know, I've worked with a lot of people and some of them can be difficult and some of them aren't. And, you know, like you, you deal with it. So I don't think that would have influenced me, per se. Um, but I took the job for whatever reason. And. I had fun. Like it was, uh, I think we filmed for two, maybe three days at some school somewhere and it was relatively easy work. And I have to say, I had no problem working with Mary Kate and Ashley. Um, I, you know, at that point they're probably old enough that they had outgrown whatever it was people hate about working with them. Cause you know, up to that point they were young kids and young kids are notoriously hard to work with. You know, there's a, an old Hollywood saying, you know, dogs and kids, you don't want to work with either of them. Um, yeah. So by that point, you know, they were well into their teens and um, they were perfectly pleasant to work with. I do remember at one point, one of them had to be pulled off the set because one was on camera and the other one was behind the camera. And for some reason, she kept cracking up the other one. And so they had to separate them just to <laughs> get the scene done. But, you know, that's stuff actors do to one another all the time. That's that's not specific to them either. So, yeah, uh, whatever whatever went into that reputation, I never experienced it. And they were perfectly pleasant to work with. And, you know, they've become their own powerhouses, especially because kudos to them for actively intentionally leaving the field and still being incredibly successful in their own completely unrelated endeavors. Like that's that's incredible. Oh, I I hundred uh, percent agree. They've been very successful with what their choices as adults as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course uh, their sister has just been a, a, a oh, powerhouse. Amazing. I, I, I love all the Marvel stuff in that anyway. So yeah. I mean like I just, I, I, I love the WandaVision and that. Oh, been... So good. <laughs> so, hey, you know, I, somebody that's a fan of that kind of, what was it like doing the, um, the Superman? Oh, Lois the, and Clark. Yeah. Lois and Clark. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it was also fun. Um, you know, it was uh, that was another example. That show was in its first season. So if I remember correctly, it hadn't even debuted when I filmed that or maybe like the first episode had debuted. I'm, I, I can't quite remember. I think maybe it had just just been released at that point. Uh, so that was, yeah, like the in, idea of being in it was really exciting. Um, and then the, the cast of it was super, super nice. I mean, Terry Hatcher was incredibly sweet um to work with and you know obviously uh now there are some notable problems out there but at that time dean kane was uh incredibly uh nice to work with and very nice and gracious and i ran into him a few years later and like he said he talked with me for like 30 minutes and you know like you know remembered me specifically and he was really nice to work with uh pen gillette guested in that episode and i was a massive massive penn and teller fan um, so that was, that was like, that was a huge deal to get to work with him and, you know, like get a signed book from him. I talked to him on email, uh, for a few years after that. Uh, so yeah, that Very was cool. it, but it was just, it was fun. It was goofy. It was silly. Um, special effects were like, you know, at that time that was back in the days when we were still doing like the superimposed Superman flying over blue clouds that looks really cheap. Yeah. And, but all the crazy effects, like when we're filming it of him, picking me up and flying off into the air and the way they do that with various camera tricks and whatnot. And it was just, it was, it was silly fun. And we got to film at a ridiculous mansion. I don't even remember where it was, but at least the way I picture it in my head, like the, the, the their front yard uh, was bigger than, than, you know, a couple football fields. Like it was just, it was the most ridiculous opulent mansion you could imagine. And we got to film there for once, like the opening scene of that movie. And yeah, it was, it was all kinds of crazy fun. Yeah. We had uh Kay Callen on the show. Oh, I loved her. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A, a few she, months ago, she was going to uh what was it, Dina signing? Uh, it was already for the kind of show. one of your con. Yeah. It was like there. a con for the show. It was, specific to the for the oh, show that's there. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, she was yeah. a lot of fun to talk to. She said such a sweetheart. Know, she had, yeah. She had a good time on the show and all that. So you uh one thing I like to ask some of our guests as well is uh, you've been on, you know, a good handful of iconic shows mm -hmm. from you know Cheers, Boy Meets World, um, and you know, Growing Pains, all these just fantastic shows was there ever a role that you were on that you just thought like man i i would love to be on this show permanently like this i would just fit in well here and oh wow um i mean there were a few things like that i, I there were multiple times where i started to recur on something right as the show ended <laughs> for various reasons like i i hope i wasn't the cousin oliver of any of these shows but it, <laughs> it, it's definitely how it felt at times there was one, and it's weird that it would make this list, but again, it's example of uh, of what you said of just how what the crew and cast were like, and so it was the experience of it. It was a show called Promised Land that I filmed in Salt Lake City, Utah, that was a spinoff of Touched by an Angel, which like none of this sounds interesting to me at all, um, but it was one of the most enjoyable filming experiences I've, I'd ever had. I mean, Salt Lake City is actually a very, very nice place. Um, I, I enjoyed it. And that crew was was all people who immediately made me feel welcome. The writer of that episode was just incredibly kind and wrote a really, really nice character for me. Um, all the rest of the cast was was really good people. Um, it was led by Gerald McCraney, who, you know, I have a 
vastly different political views from, but he on that <laughs> set, everyone just had uh, really good feelings about him directly, personally. And I, I remember I even had like a production problem where we had arranged some weird thing where since Salt Lake City is, you know, Utah is not incredibly far away and we were going to want a car there anyway. We we rented a car and drove instead of flying and we're going to have them reimburse us. And once we got there, the production company gave us some trouble about reimbursing that and wanted to do it in some weird way that wasn't going to work out for us. And we were on the phone in the makeup trailer complaining about it. And Gerald McCraney was sitting in the makeup chair, apparently listening to the entire conversation. Never said a word to us about it. The next day, we get a check for the entire amount due us. And they said, yeah, we got a call from Mac. He told us to fix it. Uh, nice. Yeah. And it's just it was one of those things. And I, I met several really, really good people on that show. And I did three episodes of it. And the expectation was that was in the third season. If it had gone to the fourth season, I probably would have come back as as a regular or a, a close to it. And I would have done that in a heartbeat. That would have been an, an, a no brainer. Um, so that was unfortunate that that didn't end up making it to the fourth season because I would have been happy to do that. And yeah, I mentioned Grounded for Life earlier. Um, that was one where um you know the the character uh who i was uh friends with who uh was that uh, what was this character name uh brent i want to say bro oh, brad yeah brett harrison was the character he had come on to that show in kind of a similar way he had come on as a guest role they brought him back as a recurring role and then eventually like loved him so much that he was a regular and then you know uh the two of us uh me and my cohort came on as his best friends and uh, did like four episodes of that. And had that show gone on longer, I would have loved to have done more of that because I thought it was a, a very smartly written show. And I remember when I guested on it, it's probably my second day that like the, the the assistant director invited me and a couple people to just like play foosball on the set with them. And like I instantly felt like I was just friends with these people. And and I've never felt that close that fast to uh, a cast and crew. And every time I did that show, I was just instantly 100% welcomed. And, and it's a it's, you know, Donald Logue was the lead on that who was amazing. Megan Price, Kevin Corrigan, like, these were these were, you know, legit people who were every everybody on that cast and crew was somebody that they showed utmost respect to. And yeah, it was that was a good, good one. Yeah, that was an, a hilarious show. I, I, when I watch it, it just kind of reminds me of me and my wife. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think we're that couple a little bit, you know. But it, it's it's a really funny show. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm still stuck in like early right. 2000s TV because uh, I think new stuff sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different. It's a, a whole different attitude. A whole different. I mean, you know, right now. I, you know, I got really, really into Ted Lasso because I hadn't realized how much, um, you know, we had so many shows where all of the leads were, were assholes. Um, and like, I appreciate that. I love, I love the idea of taking a, a deep, uh, reality of the fact that not everybody's actually a nice person, even if they are a good person, or maybe not every, every, you know, bad person has to do bad things. And you get all these anti-hero shows and the breaking bads and, you know, you get these, complicated leads who are out for themselves but inadvertently get dragged into doing the right thing and like i appreciate that depth but i hadn't realized how much much i'd missed a show that was about a genuinely kind person who just wanted to do good things until ted lasso happened i was like oh my god this is this is special this fills a hole i didn't know i had yeah yeah no i think that's why i'm stuck in like 90s and 2000s tv is like 
back then family sitcoms were still like a thing where yeah, I just yeah. I, I don't know I don't have that feeling anymore when I watch new stuff. You know, yeah. the Goldbergs that was like the closest thing. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm a sucker for sit for a good sitcom. I love old sitcoms. Mm-hmm. I am that. They just yeah, there's not a lot of new ones that. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate the shift to the single camera sitcom because I think from a storytelling standpoint, it's really, really strong. But I do remember like from filming, the multi-camera sitcom was my favorite uh, type of job to do because it's just there's no other filming process like it. And it's a it's an incredibly it's an incredible creative process from day one to day five of at least the stages the actor is a part of that uh yeah there, there, there's nothing like it it's um it's transformative along the way and you build a connection with people and you you're part of the building of the script itself because it's constantly changing and yeah it's it's magical uh and, the, and then you get to perform it in front of a, a live audience and you get that direct instant visceral feedback from people who are are genuinely moved directly by your own actions and it changes the way you perform in the moment the uh, in a way that you don't get when you're just in front of a camera and yeah it, there's magic there yeah that's the other weird thing is i as a kid i would get mad when the you know you'd have the studio audience laugh mm-hmm. and now as an adult when i'm watching things like newer stuff i'm like where's the damn audience <laughs> at you know <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was funny, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> there are certain types of comedies that absolutely I, I I I noticed that without a laugh track, there's something missing. And then there were definitely ones where it was piped in and was wrong. You know, I remember uh, um, uh, Sports Night famously had a laugh laugh track in its first season, and it absolutely ruined the show because um, it wasn't the right tone for it at all. And they got to remove it for the second and final season of it, and. I remember Whitney had a really, really bad laugh track in its first season. Um, that was like, it was very, very clearly fake. And she, she denied that in all of her uh, public statements about the show. But when every single vaguely humorous thing someone says gets a full force laugh that stops suddenly, you know, it's, uh, it's canned laughter. Yeah. Everyone loves Raymond. There's at least yeah. got to be a handful of episodes that they do. Otherwise, they had the same dude that showed up for like three <laughs> seasons in a row. Yeah, every episode because it's just one of those just very prominent laughs that just uh, uh, and just hard laughs in the background that like yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that dude was there yesterday too. Like, <laughs> yeah, and and that may very well be the case because, of course, you know, you have the the actual crew themselves. You know, the directors and producers are there, and you know, they may be being picked up in that process. You've got the warm up, uh, the warm up guy. So <laughs> yeah, you you may actually literally be hearing the same person. But the other thing is, they do sweeten those. I mean, they're taking bits and pieces. They're taking laughter from somewhere else in that recording and shifting it over to bump something up and make it sound better. They take the laughter from one recording and shift it to the, because of course, you know, you're taping the same scene oftentimes three, four, five times if you need to. And by the fifth take, the, the audience has seen the joke five times. They're not going to laugh as hard. So you take the laugh from the first one and you shift it to the recording you kept from the fifth one. And, you know, there's a lot of that massaging that goes on anyway. But yeah, there's a lot more than that too, where I'm sure they're taking it from from stock uh, recordings. It does make sense. I never thought about yeah the whole yeah we'll steal the the first time around audience you know for yep. the yep. the audience yeah that makes sense. Real quick before we get off here, Jarrett, uh, where can people find the podcast? And also, are you on social media? 
Yeah, yeah. The podcast is called the Super Legit Podcast. You can find that on anything that uh, that a podcast is on. We're we're on all of it. I don't think we missed any of them. If we did, please tell us. You can find us at superlegitpod.com, which then links to most of that stuff too. So there's an email address on there if, if you need us on another service we're missing. But it's a really funny, uh, uh, half improvised, half slice of uh, actual reality conversation about oftentimes deep, dark, uh, thoughtful topics. Um, and then a lot of uh, ridiculous blue humor gets mixed in there too, because uh, we can't help it. Um, and then, uh, me personally, I am turbo fool. I will not explain the history of that name. You can find it somewhere, but, uh, I'm tur tur turbo fool on Twitter, on Instagram, on pretty much every social media platform. I don't go by any other names. So that's me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for giving, uh, some time here tonight and we, we really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll have you back in the future if you accept, yeah. uh, we'll definitely be asking you, but it's up to you to accept, <laughs> uh, you know, oh, but, now, now the audience knows who to blame if I don't return. Exactly. Yeah, right. We, we, we do that. For a reason. We do that for a reason, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, thank you so much, and I hope you have a great holiday. You and your family be safe, and a happy new year. You too. Have a, have a good one, guys. Hey, All take right, care, thanks. Garrett. Bye. Bye-bye.